This is Mona Lisa Baseball, episode four. It's August 1st, 2021. Um, let's get started. So, I realized that I, in the beginning of the last episode, I kind of said something misleading. Um, I had said that uh, my studio was sold, and I kind of implied that's why uh, there was a four-month break. I just want to be clear that um, I don't have a contract. Um, There's no fancy studio that I drive to. Um, I was recording in my trailer, which I sold. Um, So just wanted to get that real clear off the top. Um, And also last episode, we were talking a lot about the beauty and the power of a proper proper rivalry. So I wanted to just kind of get a couple more thoughts out on that and then move on to the next topic. But the DH is kind of it's a it's definitely a cornerstone of the idea of this show and through the DH has led to so many um small rule changes or potential rule changes and that's why it needs to keep coming up. And so when we talk about rivalries, um, typically the most revered teams or revered players, if you're in an individual sport, you have a great rival. Now, a guy like Mike Tyson was able to pull off God status without any rival. I think that's the rarity. Every now and again, that can happen. Uh, he could have had a really good rivalry with Holyfield, but it didn't totally work out that way. They didn't really get to go at it when they were both at their best. It was really close. If Buster wouldn't have knocked out Tyson, it would have happened. But that's how history went down. So we can only speculate. But the rivalry is such a uh, cornerstone in sports and meaning and excitement. And I'm t- at the risk of beating a dead horse, I just want to make that really, really clear that what we have right now is good by accident. Now, if we did unify the leagues and took out the DH, I don't think we would lose rivalry for a second. But if we both went DH, you're going to lose your most important fans, the ones that care the most. Don't do it. Don't unify the leagues. Whatever that means to you, don't do it. It doesn't have to be that way. You can say it does. That doesn't actually make it true. And then speaking of beating dead horses... um, I just got to make sure that I make this point extra especially clear regarding the DH. And this is kind of a matter of speech when I say this because I don't think it uh, it would have actually gone this way. It's mostly hypothetical. You don't want to take the risk of taking the bat out of Babe Ruth's hands. That's a really, really bad idea. Granted, he probably just would have hit instead of pitching, but in this idea that 
Pitchers aren't supposed to hit. All you got to say at this point is Shohei. But even beyond that, the most important thing that I'm trying to say with this at this moment is don't make a kid choose whether they want to hit that game or pitch. I couldn't think of a worse example to set for our little leaguers that it's not a two-way sport. It is a two-way sport. That's the whole thing. Nine on defense and nine hit. That is the whole thing. It's the glue. Don't make the kid choose. The trickle down is real. They'll use it as an example. Oh. It actually allows the coach to get more players into the... It doesn't. doesn't do that. So, horse beaten dead. I get it. I want to beat it into your head, though. Because that's important. And... If you need if you need to get a perfect example of as casual a baseball fan, my girlfriend, she understands it. At one point when we were watching a game, she looks at me and goes, How can you call yourself a ball player if you don't even bat? And I don't think you can say it better. You can't. That's it. That's baseball. And it's a really good question. How could you? <laughs> How could you? So, because last episode was dedicated to rule changes, uh, I'm going to just kind of continue. There's a little bit more in that uh, arena that I want to talk about and a rule change that is has been proposed and is being pushed pretty hard by some media members. Um, and that is we need to outlaw the shift. Okay, quickly, what the shift does is power hitters tend to hit it more to um, um, one side of the diamond. So if you draw a line from home plate straight out to center field, they tend to always hit the ball to one or the other side. Defenses know this, and so they are completely allowed to place their nine defensive players wherever they want. You have to have a pitcher and a catcher. But if you wanted to have five outfielders in right field, you are allowed to do so. Now, the shift typically looks the same. You're going to have first baseman really close to the line. This is if there's a left, uh, left-handed left hitter that pulls the ball a lot. Um, second baseman plays pretty deep. Boy, I'm just realizing how hard that is to explain. I don't think I need to explain it. Other things are more important. So 
it's been stated that there's not enough offense because the defense is almost playing too smart and they can they can prevent it. They can prevent balls that should in air quotes be hits. But now there's a defensive player there and that's not really fair and instead of having a hard hit single uh, it's just a ground out. Well, don't you kind of think that's the fault of the batter that doesn't know how to hit the ball the other way where there's no defensive players? And if you hit the ball where there's no defensive players and no one's picking up the ball, you get to just keep running around the bases to your heart's content. As long as you feel like it's safe to move up to the next base, you're going to keep running. Well, oftentimes power hitters say, you know what? Fuck the shift. I'm a big guy. I'm a slugger. I'm going to hit it as hard as I possibly can. And if I hit the ball over the fence, it doesn't matter where you play defense. But you can't hit the ball over the fence every time. And in, in baseball, you can hit the ball hard on the ground, line drives, through the air. But a lot of those grounders, if you're effectively playing a shift, are going to get swallowed up and it's going to be an out instead of a hit. But there's nine defensive players out there and the point is you're supposed to hit it where they're not. So people want to say you can't do this anymore. It's almost... There's like a fever pitch as if you're cheating um, by the coach placing his defensive players in a, um, we'll say, a predictable location. I think it's been pretty well established that your best chance for defense is you got three outfielders, you got your guys on the infield, pitcher and catcher. Third base, shortstop, second base, first base. And they have numbers for where those people play because it just kind of universally was accepted. You know, like old days, uh, Wheel of Fortune, they used to, before it was the final, the final puzzle or whatever, you used to say your letters you you could choose five letters that were the most uh likely to pop up on there r s t l n e and then after years everybody started with that so the show just granted them those letters and then let them pick three more something like that so scorekeepers and everyone's been very accustomed to the nine positions but um nobody says you can't have four outfielders your shortstop can play in the outfield if they want or if it seems like a smart move. So why is it that we have to change a rule to make the game better? It doesn't really make sense to me. And I overheard an interview with Rich Eisen. Um, I don't want to pick on Rich Eisen because I've certainly never met the guy. Uh, definitely used to appreciate him on SportsCenter years ago. But I've heard him say things on his show that just really rub me the wrong way. And uh, 
a case of this was he was interviewing a young ball player and was talking to him about the way the sport's being played. And it, and it kind of started with the player th- feeling like it was important that they could maybe take the lead from NBA or NFL players and put themselves out there more. Baseball didn't really have, um, at the time the interview took place, uh, like a face to the game, real superstar level. It was just kind of a mixing pot of of good players, but they they didn't feel like they had these superstars that were drawing fans in. And so they started to talk about the way the game is played and Rich Eisen talked to him about the shift. He's like, well, what do you think about the rule they're going to implement um, or the rule they might implement um, outline the shift? The guy goes, eh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old school. I don't like it. And Rich's response was, really? Really? And he was just, he was just dumbfounded by the fact that a ball player couldn't see it the way that he saw it. And it really surprised me the way he, he kind of, he put it in a way that it was just factual, that it would make the game better to, to ban the shift. And the more I thought about it, it kind of made sense because um, Sports Center is a highlight show. Um, baseball games tend to take two to three hours. And the number of highlights you can acquire in a baseball game, uh, it takes a while. And sometimes there's very, very few. But that's kind of the fabric of the game, and you're either in or you're out. But Sports Center kind of did this thing to baseball, which was they'll show you the best one minute, in theory, of those two to three hours. And kind of make you feel like you didn't need to see all the rest um we took care of all the you know boring stuff for you and just chalked it full of home runs and diving catches and why do you need the rest that was his job to kind of um you know chaperone us through each game and that's just highlights and so I think his mindset is kind of geared more towards the highlight than the entire act of the game. That's obviously speculation, but I kind of got that feeling. And when you're a guy like Rich Eisen that is supported by ESPN, it's kind of your job to touch on all the relevant sports uh, forever, whatever, um, whatever day you're recording, you're supposed to touch on kind of the most important things that happened in the world of sports. And that's a huge, huge world. And he didn't, just listening to him talk, he didn't really even strike me as a baseball fan. Now, obviously, it's one of the big four, And so baseball is going to come up a lot, but he was talking about it in a way where he wanted to move it around sort of to his liking of what he thought was the most entertaining and to what he thought might bring the most fans in, which in turn 
I don't know, might make him more popular, make his show more popular. And it was the way he said, really, it was like he was, really, he was unable to actually think of it from the guy he was interviewing, his perspective. This is someone who's played, I'm assuming at the highest level his entire life, and he didn't really, I don't know, he didn't really even seem to want to understand where this guy was coming from. He it sounded like he really, really just wanted that guy to agree with him. Yeah, the shift is stupid. It cuts down on baseball highlights. Well, baseball is a six to seven month um, marathon. And so to just whittle it down to highlights doesn't really do it justice because at that point you're kind of turning your back on you know the car ride, listening to the game, working out in the yard, listening to the game, getting the entirety, the breadth of the entire season is something that helps build uh, the race to get into the playoffs, the playoff structure. Can we actually get into the World Series? And wow, we get to go up against the best team from the other league. So I, like anyone else, could watch beautiful home runs all day because it's one of the more exciting things about the game is watching people crush the ball. But to kind of assume that only the highlights are the things that are worth watching, and I'm not accusing Eisen of this, but I kind of get that sense. Uh, it's just it's pretty short-sighted concerning uh, the entirety of the sport. And I think... As a media member, isn't it kind of your job to just comment on what happened in the sport, not necessarily how the sport's played? Because if you're saying that the sport needs to change its rules to make it better, that's taken a pretty pretty ballsy approach in terms of... Um, you know, you're the chosen one that turns, uh, says we need to turn our back on decades of history. Trust me on this one. That's a pretty serious thing to take on. And because there's so many voices in sports, you can be pretty casual about, well, you know, that's just my opinion. But Rich Eisen is up there in terms of whose sports shows are listened to the most. I don't know the rankings, but he certainly, he has a lot of listeners. And I think he ought to be a little more careful about that approach of stating what ought to change in the game rules-wise. I feel like it's more his job to talk about how the game was played through the players. Um... But, you know, I shouldn't say that it's, uh, you know, it's out of his jurisdiction, but you got to be pretty serious when you're um, a voice that, you know, probably a few hundred thousand people are going to hear. And um, baseball is just, it needs to be all in long game because that's what it already has going for it. 
Um, and another one that I heard, you'll probably remember uh, last season, if you were paying attention. Um, I wasn't paying attention, but I still heard about this. And uh, Fernando Tatis hit a grand slam late in a game where his team was winning by a pretty substantial number. They were winning by, I don't know, five to ten runs. And uh, there was a 3-0 count, and the bases were loaded, and he swung and hit a grand slam. And um, it was noticed that there were people on the field that weren't very happy about that. Now, the media picked up on this, and I heard a lot of people talking about it. And while it pissed me off to hear what they were saying, I had to listen to just a little bit to, you know, kind of keep track of what's going on. You know, like if you're a, um, a, a hardcore liberal or Democrat, or sorry, hardcore liberal or possibly Democrat or far right wing, um, I don't want to um, put together Democrats and liberals necessarily because I don't think it really works that way anymore. But I think it's a good idea to hear the other side. And if it makes you vomit, just just hear enough right before you vomit, just so you kind of know where the other side is coming from. But I wanted to hear what these, you know, so-called experts were saying about this Grand Slam. And um, I guess the the coach, or I should say the manager and the other manager kind of looked at across the dugouts to each other and it was stated that the manager for uh, Tatis was going to have a talk with him. Like, I understand that an unwritten rule was broken and we'll have a talk with him and, um, and we'll settle the matter. You don't need to plunk one of my players. Um, I'll talk to him. And so the media picked up on this idea and they said, um, and in this example, the one that is most memorable to me was on uh, Colin Cowherd's show. And he had uh, a lady in the booth with him and they were trying to be real funny about it. And they're saying, so let me get this straight. Isn't the point of the sport to score the most runs, to win the game, and isn't that the point? So... This guy came up with the bases loaded and he hit a grand slam, which puts runs on the board, which means his team wins. So what's the problem here? And they were they were being very facetious in their conversation. And an unwritten rule of baseball was, well, there's a lot of them, but it kind of gets established by the players and the coaches, and then the umpires have to sort of, um, you know, manage that. And at times, um, could you even say, like, mitigate the situation when they, they understand what's going on in the field and they don't want things to get out of hand. So the umpires have to sort of, um, you know, massage the game um, the best way that they know how so that, you know, people don't get hurt for no reason and things like that. But that's between the players and the coaches to sort of continue to play the sport. And I was sort of offended the way that the media sort of attached themselves 
telling baseball what is worth keeping or getting rid of in terms of unwritten rules. And if you're not a player, then shut the hell up. It's their thing. They're the ones playing. You get paid to talk about it, but you don't get to sort of tell an athlete how an unwritten rule should be enacted on the field. I thought that was really, they were really, really overstepping their bounds. And kind of what they're going for is you got this brilliant young player, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, Your eyes go right to him. He's got big hair. He hits big flamboyant home runs. Um, He hits them so far that he can stand at home plate and stare at it. And those are the things that the, the youth and the fans now like. They like seeing flamboyancy. They like seeing end zone dances. Like, why would we take that away from the fans? And uh, we're not. Um, what these players and coaches are going through out there is nobody wants to be shown up. And um, part of being shown up is if you're getting absolutely slaughtered, let's say uh, football game, it's 50 nothing. Do you really need to be firing to the end zone uh, long 50-yard bombs to try to make it 57-0? That game is secure. You're going to win. Now, crazy things can happen in baseball. And yes, occasionally there are these huge comebacks. Um, I think I heard Bobby Valentine, someone asked him, what's the craziest thing you ever saw in baseball in all your years of managing? And he said, I saw a, what was it? Uh, a nine run comeback with two outs in the ninth. Okay, so those things can happen. But in this Fernando Tatis game, it appeared as though the Padres were already going to win. Now, it wasn't really the problem with hitting a grand slam because the bases were loaded. So he's not just supposed to go up there and get out. But there's an unwritten rule that says if it's the count's 3-0, and you don't need to swing at the next pitch. For whatever reason, that's sort of been established as um, sort of a no-no. So when he swung at that 3-0 pitch and hit it out of the park and kind of, you know, trotted around the bases like he was a badass, um, the other team took offense to that. I don't think it's really up to Cowherd to decide whether the other team should take offense to that. They just did. And so... Typically, the way that would be handled is, um, well, let's go ahead and plunk this guy or maybe plunk one of his teammates. And it doesn't have to be now. It could be throughout the season. It could even be next season, but we're not going to necessarily forget this. Um, Now, another thing with, uh, now that I bring that up, this sort of um, flamboyancy at the plate, um, I've seen some highlights this year, and there's a lot of people that are... Uh, hitting home runs and standing and admiring their work, watching the ball fly out of the ballpark. Uh, I grew up with this being kind of okay because two people started doing it in the 90s and they were more or less so head and shoulders above everyone else that those pitch, uh, pitchers could sort of accept them doing that. Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Bonds, they knew when a ball... um couldn't stay in the yard and was going out and they would sort of admire their work at the plate 
And I don't really recall them getting plunked over it, but it was kind of like they were so good that that was exempt. And um, they kind of got away with it. I don't think other players did, but certain people... No, I should put it this way. If you're a pitcher, um, you're at the top of your sport, you throw a ball, and a person crushes it, it doesn't feel very good to have the person stand and admire how great they are by how far they hit it off of you. And one of the beautiful things about the game is the defense holds the ball. So the pitcher can actually, if they don't like the way you handle yourself, and you should be professional because you're a professional athlete, uh, they'll hit you when you come up next. They're like, hey, next time, just go ahead and run the bases. You don't need to uh, take it in, snap a photo while it's in the air. Uh, just go ahead and run around the bases next time. And that reminder comes out very clearly when they plunk them the next at bat. So this is kind of how the game self modif or not modifies um self regulates itself is it's keeping it professional in the way that they know how and so there might be times where it's okay to kind of celebrate around the bases um i heard an interview between uh Dennis Eckersley and Kurt Gibson and uh Kurt Gibson actually said to Eckersley i didn't know if you were pissed off that i was doing the arm thrusts around second base because I didn't want to show you up, but I was so excited. And Dennis understood. This was game one of the World Series, and he just hit a walk-off. Kirk Gibson just hit a walk-off home run. Uh, it wasn't even expected to play that game, yet he pinch hit and knocks one out of the park and ended it, and he was limping around the bases. And Eckersley knows the game. He wasn't upset. It might not have felt very good, but you know he's the one that served up the slider that ended the game. So I think in that scenario, it called for that. Um, when you watch him, and thank God the camera work was so at such a high caliber. I mean, you got Vin Scully in the booth, and it, it made you feel like you were there. And the way they zoomed in on all the right spots, uh, it, it was a really. It's one of the more memorable. Uh, Hard to rank them, but it's right up there with one of the great baseball moments of all time. So go ahead and celebrate. Absolutely. And it wasn't even like he wasn't um, he wasn't laying it on thick or something. He just thrust his arms like, yes, I did it. I did something great. And obviously the fans were going completely nuts, so it made sense. That's different than hitting a ball and just standing there which kind of implies I'm a badass at your expense. And it's understandable that players or pitchers wouldn't want to see that. And so you got unwritten rules that it's not like somebody just decided it'd be played this way. It's been played that way for decades. So shame on you, Colin, and whoever your co-hosts were that day for trying to alter a sport that already has it figured out. You guys in the media cloud it because you bring in all these doubts of how it ought to be played, but we already know how it ought to be played because we have decades worth of work as an example. So 
I think I pretty much made my point on that one. Um, let the coaches, let the players determine how they act or react from the way that other players are playing the game. And let's leave it in their hands. I think, uh, I think they're very deserving of that. And if we're not out there playing the sport, let it be. That's how that game is played. You know, sort of like, sort of like the fans that complain in hockey. Oh, I think it's a beautiful sport, but you gotta gotta get rid of this fighting. That's how you play hockey. Doesn't mean you have to have fights and brawls the whole time, but that's the sport. It's not on us to change it. Let the players go about it the way that they play the sport. And let's allow the referees to kind of determine whether it's a suitable time to fight. Sometimes it calls for that. So let's let them decide. Um, okay, moving on. Let's see. I got about eight minutes. So I'm going to start a new topic. And I've uh, been excited to get to this one. And it goes back to all of our childhoods as baseball fans, and when we were learning to play the game, we had wiffle ball. Uh, back in the day, you had stick ball. Maybe you had both, but I think wiffle ball is more of a last few decades thing. When you're starting a game, you don't need nine players. You don't need 18 players. All you really need is two players, you and someone else. But I proved as a kid, sometimes you only need one. I had a house and in my backyard, I had a little bit of property. There was a retaining wall and I kind of created my own stadium or my own ballpark. And with a wiffle ball, you can pretty much control where you're going to hit it if you're the one throwing it up and hitting it. So I sort of created this left field foul line was the house. And if you hit it above a certain line on the house, uh, I was a home run and if you hit it into the second deck, it was just that much more impressive. And then I would run and get the ball and sort of announce to myself how he really got all of that one. And it was very fun to create a ballpark because the house that I was hitting into didn't necessarily look like other ballparks. But, um, you know, if you hit one on the roof, there was a few parks where balls went on roofs. And so there was crossover there. And you could understand what felt or looked cool as far as dimensions go. And as far as, you know, that's too short of a porch or center field's too far. I can't actually hit a wiffle ball. It doesn't actually go that far. But these things were understood as a kid. What a cool ballpark looked like. Well, nowadays, unfortunately, um, after Camden Yards in 92 was so popular, they kind of kicked the old era to the curb. It's not multi-purpose. Let's get back to ballparks and we're going to create a space where baseball was intended to be played, not baseball could be played in this football park, but really, you know, take the things that, um, are going to enhance the game or make it more interesting. So they had a big warehouse uh, in right field that was already there. So they designed the park around that so that if you crush the ball to right field, it could go off the facing of a building. 
And that hadn't really been seen in a long time. And that was very interesting. Well, it came with so much success that a lot of places decided uh, we don't really, maybe it didn't go as well as we thought it did, um, creating a round stadium, having turf, playing football, and then baseball during um, non-football season. And well, maybe in September we might have to share it with football a little bit. And fans got alienated. They didn't like going to ball games there, but they love going to Camden Yards. And so a lot of cities decided to leave that behemoth, ugly, concrete stadium for the football teams, and they would create a ballpark just for baseball. Well, it was so popular that now there's kind of uniformity in all of them where you know, I remember Jacobs Field came out, super cool park. Um, but then there kind of started to be this sameness. When Pac Bell Park came out in 2000, the idea was, wow, if you slug it to right field, you could actually hit a ball from home plate into the ocean. That was a novelty. That was really cool. But then Pittsburgh did something similar and... The ballparks almost started to take on the same quality, and I don't think they really accomplished what they thought they would, and I don't think there's enough variety in ballparks right now. You still got Fenway, and you still got Wrigley, but Wrigley's really lost its unique flair as well. They had a really, really, really large Jumbotron added. And then recently they added a second one. And it kind of takes away from the simplicity of the Ivy Wall and the bleachers. Now, the Ivy Wall, you know, there's a concrete wall in the outfield. That's the only park with concrete and it makes it stand alone ivy the same way but is it all the other 31 parks have the exact same padded fence material there isn't really the uniqueness and even old enron field while it was a ludicrous ballpark and Proved to be overly gimmicky and rinky-dink. There was one redeeming factor of that park, which I thought was really cool because it added interest to the game, I thought. But it was kind of enemy number one in terms of a lot of the feedback that I heard from other people, which was not right field is a total joke in this era of steroids. People are hitting it out of the park you know, right-handers are hitting it out in right field, not even making clean contact and not even putting a great swing on it. And that's going out. That should not be a home run. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the tiniest little portion of Fenway down right field where it's 301 and there's about a five, 10 foot window. Okay. That's interesting. I could see that. But all of right field was a joke and most of left field was a joke. 
Left center, yeah. Deep left center, okay, now that's a little bit more legitimate. But a lot of that ballpark was a joke. But the one thing that I like, oh, I'm going to have to tell you next time. Um, Okay, so Mona Lisa Baseball, episode 4, August 1st, 2021. I will see you next week.